Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Fiona. My passion for sport really started when I was a competitive swimmer. This led me to study sport development at university whilst also working within the sporting industry. I'm a huge believer in sport being used as a tool for good. Each week, I'll bring you an episode with someone involved in the sporting world. It could be your local high school teacher or your childhood or current sporting hero. The difference is that it's not your typical type of questions. We talk about the highs and lows in their journey through sport, but also what they've learned from it and how it's made them who they are today. There's also a strong focus on how being involved in sport can impact the community. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow wherever you're listening so you don't miss the drop of each new episode. If you're after some bonus content, then you can check out our Instagram or Facebook page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. On average, one woman a week in Australia is murdered by her current or former partner. Ten women a day are hospitalised for assault injuries perpetrated by a spouse or domestic partner. One in three women have experienced physical violence since the age of 15. These statistics have been pulled from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and tell a shocking truth about domestic violence within our society. Now you're thinking, what's this got to do with sport? Well, this episode's guest is determined to be more than a statistic. Kim O'Reilly is a survivor of domestic violence, an advocate for educating sporting clubs and empowering them to take a zero-tolerance approach when it comes to violence. Kim bravely shares her journey while still living with the effects that a former partner has inflicted in the hope that it can help others. And what I like most, using sport as a tool to do so. A trigger warning for this episode as we discuss some heavy topics such as domestic violence and mental health. If this is something that is distressing for you, please feel free to give this one a skip. If you require assistance with this, please check the resources in the show notes. Or if you're in Australia, call 1800 RESPECT. Let's get into today's episode. Can you please tell us about like your start in a football club? You said before off air that you've been there since a tiny little baby. So can you tell us about that exposure? Yeah, sure. I think growing up in a small town um, like Sunraysia, you go to sports every Saturday. Uh, we were part of the a local football club. Uh, I was going there every week since I was six weeks old as my dad was a sponsor. So it was kind of inbreded into you from a really young age. And, you know, you follow it as you grow up. Like I, I love the and um, I love the grand final and out in Sunraysia whenever it was on. It was on last week. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal when you grow up in a small town. It's a thing to do on a Saturday. Yeah, and the footy club or any really sports club, in Australia, especially in regional and rural towns, it's kind of the community hub. Like that's where everyone gathers. Yeah, I mean, you get, you get such big crowds and, you know, it's in the local paper and, you know, training on the Tuesday and Thursday nights. It's always such a big deal. Even, you know, basketball or cricket in a smaller town is massive. Soccer is huge. My nieces play netball. So, you know, it gets passed down from generation to generation. 
it, it becomes it's a family community, I guess, you know, being a part of a club. So, yeah, it, it, is, it is something that you just automatically grow up with. That's such an important thing in someone's life is to feel part of a community and feel that support around you. And yeah. something happened a few years ago where you felt let down by a community. Are you able to walk us through in whatever detail you want to what happened and then we can talk about like how you felt let down? Yeah, sure. My ex-partner was incarcerated for um, assaults on myself and um, eventually assault on his previous partner before me. She came forward uh, while I was quite unwell in the hospital. Um, In June in 2019, it went before a different judge that we had had previously and he was, the judge explained and compared it to the man who drove down Burke Street years ago from the exceptional circumstances he would need to be released, be held, and continuously held in there for longer than 12 months. So he was released on a, that happened on a Wednesday, and on the Saturday he was um, playing football for Dimble Football Club and posting it all over social media. Uh, he played um, with his father, and, you know, his father's jumper was handed down to him. Oh, my gosh, that would have been such a letdown, and that it was almost like a betrayal of that community and seeing it over social media and you weren't even back to it to regular life like did the club reach out to you at all never never I think um maybe 12 months ago uh the president the current president had spoken to uh the the leagues um one of the gentlemen that worked for the actual league and said you know he'd be happy to speak with me and by that stage I was just like no it's no too late it's gone for too long and, you know, if you felt that you had done something wrong and that you felt that you should have spoken to me, you would have done it at the time, um, you know, I think last year after they copped some criticism. You, you know, Dim Buller was put out there publicly, so I think maybe that would put the pressure on a little bit. But I don't think it was genuine. So, yeah, no, I don't need to speak to them. Oh, that's It's so disappointing that, like, the culture in that club or that sp- I guess it's like sport thought that that was okay to do that. Like someone out on bail should not be playing footy. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough it was, you know, for assaulting one person, but he he was up for a charge and assaulting another a partner, you know, that came forward. And I just think how it's just such a kick in the guts that that yeah. is not, you know, like taken seriously. Like I felt like, you know, we weren't taken seriously and, he, his charges weren't taken seriously and he was up for serious intent to cause injury and that's a that's a really big, like, assault charge. Yeah. But, yeah, it's yeah, it's disappointing, but it was also definitely a slap in the face for my family, so. Yeah, oh, I could imagine. And I think we were speaking a little bit before about, like, the culture that sport has and the importance that it has on Australian culture yeah. and how it can influence and it's a powerful change. And... If you're seeing people either in your community or on the TV or you're sporting heroes misbehaving or doing serious crimes and they're welcome back in the club and they don't really have serious consequences, yeah. it doesn't really teach the younger generations to not go ahead and do bad things. Like it's Monkey see, monkey do. I'm a strong believer in that because, you know, if you have these the, especially in a small community where you have seniors and reserves, you know, these seniors that these under-15s now look up to and they're doing the wrong thing and 
you know, it's the boys' club, you know, and they're praised for it. Oh, it's just a boy thing. It's just guys having fun. I don't understand how we expect these under-15s to grow up to not do those things. Like I think, you know, we're setting them up to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's, it starts at that age. And I think, you know, these people in this club in a senior role really need to have a look at why they're in that position and take on that they are looked at as a role model. You know, they are looked at as this God type mm-hmm. thing for these young kids. I think that they, I think they need to take that on as, you know, as like a father figure role rather than a like a arrogant hero. Yeah. 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 I think like that's, that's the power of sport and I, in such a sporting nation, like it's every sport, it's not just footy, like you look at cricketers or you look at swimmers or NRL players or yeah. soccer players, like tennis players. And you go, well, that's my hero and he gets away with it or she gets away with it. I don't know. We don't want to discriminate, but yeah, how are we yeah, to expect that? Which is why you've started something very special and you're using something absolutely horrible that happened to you to help educate these clubs. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I put my story on a little Facebook um, page probably nearly two years ago, maybe 80 months ago, and the, the, a lady had reached out to me and asked me to do it and I put it off and put it off. And then, you know, we got our sentence outcome, which he got six years and two-year alcohol exclusion order, which we were, you know, it, it, it's not enough, but we were happy that we got that considering, you know, he could have just got time served. And a, a lot of attention was surrounded by the fact that he was allowed to play football when I put this story up. And it really sunk into me that other people could see that it's so wrong. Um, I think because at, when it happened, we didn't feel that anyone could see that it was wrong because it was allowed to happen. And then when the, um, I put the story up, the amount of people that had contacted me to say that it had happened to them with their local club and just that how people don't believe them and, you know, they stick by the, their mates and their players and it was just horrible. So I dug a little deeper and did some research and, you know, I really took some notice of AFL, NRL and all of these big sports in Australia and how much over the last decade men in these clubs and a part of these sports that have been pulled up on sexual assault or assault and not actually had any consequences, I was amazed. It's like there's probably a handful of people that have actually had a consequence where they've been stood down from the league or actually gone and done jail time. So I just felt like coming from a small town where sports is such an important part of everyone's, you know, weekend and life, that someone needs to say something. And I think the power that they have can actually help influence even just the community's judgment. So that's where we started and my friend kept saying to me, it's never okay. It's never okay that they did this. Um, so that's what we come up with. It's never okay. And it's a campaign to help sporting bodies change, you know, the tolerance and acceptance of violence. I was looking at your website. So we'll, I'll link it in the show notes for anyone who wants to find it. But I like one thing that really stuck out to me is the sentence of, it seems in regional Victoria that obtaining the flag supersedes the demoralisation years of rehab and the physical and emotional trauma and like it made me feel a bit sick reading that and thinking oh my goodness like it's kind of it is kind of true like we see it on I'm not even a huge like 
footy fan, but you see it yeah. on the news and you see AFL players misbehaving or, you know, they're doing God knows what. Mad Monday is coming up. It just makes me feel like what are we either not seeing or we're just accepting and it's just yeah. flying under the radar and it's not okay. And, like, some of these players don't even cop suspensions and I no. don't understand why. Yeah, I mean, Jared, Jared Haynes... Um, I believe, from NRL. So he was up for rape and sexual assault. Um, He was stood down to play games, but he was still allowed to train at the club. So Mm -hmm. still be a part of it. And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around, how is, how is he, like, so he's got a consequence, but then he's rewarded. I just couldn't understand it. Like, I just don't understand Jordan Dugowie. How many times has he been pulled up? And there is no consequence for this man. And I just think if that was, you know, if, if that was someone, say, in politics, mm-hmm. how how would they handle it then? Like, I just think even there, there's no consequences for men that do this. And I just think it's, we're setting such a bad example just so that they can win a flag or so they can win the election. It's just, it's it's so, it's really sad. I think in 2022, it's a really sad situation we find ourselves in. I look at, I guess, like where it was maybe 10 years ago. And I know there's this whole movement where women are a little bit more empowered to speak up and thank god for that and it's still got a long way to go but i'm kind of glad that we've taken that first step and things haven't fully changed but women are now speaking up and or men are speaking up or you know people are speaking up about these things and i think that's what needs to change for that cultural shift yeah, for sure. I mean, I said the other night at um, this sports event, you know, that the conversation has come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go. It's yeah. we're not even a quarter of the way there. But it's sad that we have to do all the work. I find that us women are doing all the work. You know, where's the men's backing? Where's the male standing up for us women? It's not very often that you see that. And I think that's why I think the sport... Um, for us that the campaign is so important because it is male-dominated field. It is a male-dominated industry. And we, I'm desperately wanting men to stand up for us because I think men can change men's minds. I find that when I go and talk to sports clubs, I don't feel that the men are really listening. Um, sometimes I find it really hard to get some sort of, um, I guess, you know, some sort of bounce back from a male um, club. And I have a gentleman, two gentlemen on the um, campaign who are both from sports clubs, both from football clubs. And I find that when they speak to the clubs themselves, they get a lot more interaction. So, yeah, I think, you know, we're, the conversation started, but we're still a long way off, you know, from the goal square. So, yeah, whereas the same message should be absorbed the same way, whether it's coming from you or whether it's coming from the two men. It's disappointing. I mean, I think, you know, for where we are, we've been in the campaign probably 12 months now, which is, you know, not long, but I'd like to think that in 2022 these people want to jump on board and see change and help change and create change. But it's unfortunate that there has been a lot of pushback with sports clubs, especially football um, in regional areas because I think, you know, a lot of people don't like to think that this is actually happening or, you know, if they're the best player you know, they don't need to pay attention to it. So it's disappointing, but I think they need to learn that we're not going to go away. So we're going to keep pushing forward. We'll force it. 
Yes. And so it's like you're educating, but what are you pushing for? Is it a policy? Tell me, tell us about like you're wanting them to sign a policy or an, or pop up a policy in their in their club. Yeah. So I'll cut policy, code of conduct, whatever suits really. <laughs> I think it's to help educate and I think, you know, have a, your integrity team um, within a club to be able to deal with these sorts of circumstances when this is raised to them or, you know, if someone has reported it that there's this team that can handle it and is equipped to handle it, no bias, opinions, no judgment, and I think has the support to handle it. I think that within sports clubs, you know, we have drug and alcohol policies, we have sexual harassment policies, but we don't have anything to do with violence. And I think when clubs go out to the pub and you know, they get into a situation with a fight Stop there, it. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same thing should apply. Like I'm totally a believer in violence as violence and regardless of who it's against or who it's from, it shouldn't happen. So it's kind of, it's to it's to help them change, I guess, with the education, with the tolerance and the acceptance of it, to try and educate them about the consequences and how it affects the person. And it, it's to create, I guess, a shift in the dynamics in a sports club where, you know, you don't have women on, you know, the board or you don't have women volunteers and you don't have women umpires and all that sort of thing so it's it's really just to help support them to help educate them and also to help navigate them through the situation if it's brought to them and how if it's reported on how we can handle it better because I think at the moment um you know there's no safe space really within clubs to be able to bring it to the forefront I think the most important part of that is giving them the knowledge and the support to be able to handle it because that's probably where it's coming from is yes, it's a culture of the boys club and mm. a little bit of they don't want to lose their best player for yeah. the match against the, the rival club or whatever. But it's probably that they don't know how to deal with it. So they've yeah. buried it. I mean, I, th- I think you find that the older generation, you know, back in an older generation, they it wasn't really talked about. It wasn't really shown you know it wasn't their business Mm -hmm. so that's really hard to crack through is the older people that are in these clubs you know they choose to stand back and not want any part of it because it's just what they're grown up and that's what their generation was to deal with with the younger generation I don't think the understanding of the severity Mm -hmm. of it you know two guys go out and as we said get into a fight in front of the bar and it's forgotten the next week Mm -hmm. but when it comes to a female or you know a female onto a male there's it's quite sad and I guess it's a bit of a loss that people don't understand the mental side of the damage that it does mm-hmm. and I think that's um, what we need to get through with that education of you know education is knowledge and knowledge is power and I think that gives you the best way on how to handle it I don't think people understand the aftermath of it you know, I don't think people understand what it does to someone's family, what it does to, you know, I have a friend that was really affected by what happened to me and, you know, my brother was really affected by what happened to me and I don't think they see that side of it or, you know, I have PTSD. I don't think they see that that is something that carries on because it's not looked at as serious, I think, and also people judge the person that's the victim. Yeah. Um, so I think that all comes with education really. Oh, like things like PTSD people don't really see that as in like you'll try your best to mask when when you have a trigger or when something's happening but people around you will be like what's happening like they they don't understand why yeah you've gone into that state or why you might be behaving a little bit different to usual 
what are yep. some of those like I don't want to say flow on effects but you know it's been a few years what what are the things that are affecting your daily life oh gosh um sometimes I don't leave my home unfortunately you know I can't bring myself to leave my house mm-hmm. it's just you know un- unfortunately it puts a fear in you and I have a fear of people you know it takes a lot for me to get up and want to leave my house to even just go to work um you know when I'm by myself and my mind's wandering I really struggle to get up and want to leave my home um you know I have a wonderful work that's very understanding of what I go through but it's still something that I shouldn't have to deal with and I think that's what people don't get is that I shouldn't have to deal with anxiety I shouldn't have to deal with PTSD I was totally ignorant to PTSD I honestly thought it was something you know that people that were in the war got and you know people like me never got that um so that was a really new new understanding of what my life was looking like when I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, I get, gosh, what, the other night at this event, I went red raw on the neck. You, you know, that's a new thing for me. <laughs> yes. Same. Oh, it's horrible. And, you know, I have to keep my head down and I can feel it. It's so hot. And, you know, that's something that I have to learn to deal with. I don't sleep. Gosh, I, I don't get any sleep ever. I probably get three, maybe four hours a night and it's always broken. I have nightmares, like I social anxiety, I get extremely, if I'm going to where there's strangers, I get anxiety. If I'm going to a friend's place, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Even traveling in a car, I don't like having my feet off the ground. It's been a thing since it happened. It's just, you know, that sense of control yeah. of myself. So yeah, there's millions, like I, I get physically sick because I get so so much anxiety ridden and stressed out that you know I, I make I might end up sick especially before going to court I was you know not in good shape but I think my anxiety is a lot worse now than what it has been ever mm-hmm. um, I'm not really sure why I'm still trying to figure out why but I think you know the depression side of it has come into play and I'm starting to understand that and it's just kind of a flow-on effect but I think also now I notice it more and I'm trying to handle it better mm-hmm. But it, I, I, I have it a lot more now than what I did 12 months ago, which is unfortunate. <laughs> it is. And anxiety, like I live with anxiety and I can relate to so many things. Yeah. it's not Of the symptoms that you live with. And it didn't even happen because of a PTSD or anything. It's just something that I have. People who don't have anxiety, they don't actually realize how debilitating it can be sometimes. Yeah. I was always that person that said, you know, you make this, you make the sun come up the next day. Like you choose to have a good day or you, you don't. Like I was that person that was, you know, not understanding of it. I didn't really get it until, you know, um, I guess my dad started getting a little bit of anxiety and struggled a bit. And then when I got it, I was like, oh my God, how, how ignorant of me to say that to people, especially friends that were asking for advice and being so harsh about it. Like it's, to the point, yeah, sometimes I cannot leave my home and it's a horrible feeling because that's not me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not that person. I'm someone that will go out and socialise and be a butterfly. But I, like I sometimes I cannot leave my home. Sometimes I don't want to pick up the phone and talk to people on the phone because I just get such bad anxiety. I don't want to, I'm so insecure yeah. that I can't talk to people on a phone call. And that makes what you're doing even more brave because you're going to clubs. Do you do you know people at these clubs, or you're just going to? Well, not not all of them. No, yeah. <laughs> some of them, yes. But I still like 
my, you know, my poor mum comes with me wherever I go and so does my dad and, you know, they see how much of a panic I am before I get there and mm. once I get there it's even more inflamed and then after I've kind of spoke or after, you know, I've met a few people, I, st- I start to relax because I know that my surroundings are safe yep. and people aren't judging me. I, you know, I feel very judged sometimes wherever I go. And I think that just comes with people knowing what happened to me. It's, you know, I still get that feeling of embarrassment, I guess. So, yeah, sometimes it's comfortable, sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. But more, more than not, it's not comfortable at all to go to these places. But I push myself because it has... I have to do it. You know, I've committed to doing it and I'm going to make sure that I see it through. I'm not going to let this not allow me to do this work. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And that's so incredibly empowering in those moments to remember when you're, you know, feeling like you don't want to leave the house. It's like, no, well, my reason why is stronger than the, the yeah that I'm feeling. Yeah. Sometimes I just tell myself, I said, get over yourself. Like, like people are in, such worse situations and you know you're still here and you've, you you can get up with your two legs and walk out the door but then sometimes it's like I can't even listen to myself because my head is going so much faster than you know my body and it just doesn't keep up with what I'm saying and it's almost too late I should have spoken to myself half an hour before I got to that point where my heart's beating fast uh, but yeah you just I just remind myself you know I'm very lucky that I'm still here and not to complain about it, but sometimes it's hard not to. Yeah, and like in those moments of despair, I know I had one last night and I should have recognised it earlier and I ended up calling my mum. I was like, mum, I'm having a panic attack. You need to come get, you need to come to me now. And I was vomiting. It's horrible. Like you said, like it's, and then it's that disappointment of like, oh, I should have picked that up, you know, a few hours earlier yeah. and done the steps to to not do that. And, and like that's something that I have just, because of the way I am but like this is something that you're having to live with because of someone else's actions and like that's even more unfair yeah I mean yeah I think it's oh yeah I think it's unfair your way or my way I don't think it's fair at all that we have to live through it but at times I get quite angry that this is done to me because of someone else like I think that's so unfair that you know my whole life has to be relived like I you know I'm not living the same life as I was living before and I probably never will and I think you know at for the last three years I've had to live a life that hasn't been enjoyable you know I've lost three years of my life because of someone else so it's it's hard to stomach that at times because you know this person was supposed to care for me so it just it does make you angry but then you've got to tell yourself that you're lucky that you're here so it's like you just play this you know, tennis game with yourself, um, just going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I just, everything you're saying, I can relate to in the sense of like the tennis game and the brain overthinking, but it's that next step of like, you're now fighting against something that happened to you and educating to make sure it either doesn't happen to other people or that the culture has changed from, you know, amongst Australia, amongst clubs in regional Victoria. And I think that is the ultimate thing is like you're not letting it hold you back. You're not letting it like pull you down or control. I know there's moments where it does control, but yeah. you're not letting that stop you from doing what you're doing. But trying. I mean, you know, to even speak to you, it's taken me a couple of goes to warm up to be able to come on and, you know, do it. But, you know, I try to always show up and no matter how bad I think I am, I think about 
if, you know, someone else was in my position and had to go through what I go through, I would not be okay with me not going out there and speaking and making them feel like they're not alone. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's it's hard. Like sometimes, you know, I just I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to do it, but I, I wouldn't be okay going home and not doing it knowing that I might I might have been able to help someone and not make them feel the way I do if that makes sense 100 percent. yeah and like thank you so much for for coming on and there's a few more questions I have for you but the fact that you have come on and you are here and if this helps one person like it's not comfortable at all to to speak about this stuff for anyone and the fact that we are and that you are coming on and if it helps one person if it helps 10 people if it helps 10,000 people like the difference is yeah. still a difference and I think that yeah. in itself is really incredible. Now in April you rode on a bike, on a push bike. <laughs> Tell us about that. What did you do? Oh, <laughs> the memories. So I, my friend who helped me a lot with my, oh, sorry, my friend that helped me a lot with my rehab, you know, I, I used to speak to her about something that I wanted to do that was big and really challenge myself and try to, you know, spread the message without purposely sp- spreading the message. And I said, I wanted to walk from Melbourne to Mordura. And she said, no way. <laughs> so then we compromised and we came up with a bike ride. I have a hip injury, so it's not a great ideal mm-hmm. thing for me to do. But I was happy with the challenge. And, you know, we stopped in towns along the way and we spoke about what we were doing and what we were creating. And, you know, we got some we got some amazing, amazing help along the way. It was fantastic. And you know, we've got re- invited back to football games and invited back to events to be able to talk to. And, you know, it it was testing um, and it wasn't easy. You know, I'm not going to say it was a breeze because it wasn't. It was hard. On the probably the sixth day, I really struggled um, to get on and off the bike just alone. Mm-hmm. But we made it. Um, myself, Joe and Amanda were the bike riders and we had a sport crew who are a part of the campaign and we did it over seven days so it was around 80 k's a day which is a lot when you're not a cyclist mm-hmm. but yeah we made it and it was fantastic you know we had the police officers from Redcliffe and Mildura come and ride with us for the last couple of kilometers and we had you know kids that came and helped us ride we had gosh we had people from Orion and a police officer from here in Melbourne that came and helped us ride and it was just it was an amazing experience I wish I could do it again but I'm not going to so. <laughs> It's definitely not doing it, but it was just such an experience. I was actually looking through a video last night of it and it just it brings me to tears because it was such a hard thing to do, but oh, even now. Um, but it was such an achievement. I never thought that I could do it, to be honest. Yeah, and it was that determination and I guess like you wanted to spread your message and empower other people and educate and oh, I don't even know the right words really, but the fact that you pushed yourself to do something that you never thought you could do to share that incredible message is so amazing. And, oh, I just, I think that, I think that you're wonderful. Oh, thank you. I I don't, yeah, I don't think that I'm wonderful. I just think that if someone's got to do it, I'm going to try and do it. You know, my parents brought me up to just um, work hard and achieve what you want. And I think it's gotten to the point where, you know, I've achieved what I wanted, but I want to do more. And, you know, we need to do really big things for me to get people to listen. So, you know, a bike ride was pretty big. And, yeah, you know, we had a lot of people that came up to us along the way and told us their stories. And it was, you know, it was it was such an honour to meet people in these small secluded towns that told you about their issues that they hadn't even told their sisters or their brothers or their mothers. And it was just, 
you know, there's quite a few women out there that I know that have had a hard time and whatever I can do to make their life easier, I'll do. Yep. And even like what you said earlier is just knowing that you're not alone and maybe like the fact that you have been brave enough to step out of the comfort zone and push yourself mentally and physically and emotionally has helped like I'm sure it's helped so many women I know when I watched on a current affair I was sitting there with my partner and I was like oh my gosh I need her on my podcast because this is you know using the riding so using physical activity or sport to help develop the community like you are that example what you are doing is helping to improve a community and I think that is incredible in itself but after something traumatic is even more incredible. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sometimes it's um, you feel like you're really alone trying to push this message. You know, you get pushed back and you go forward 10 steps and then you get back 12 and whatever. But I feel like, you know, we're, we're making some headway. It's just a really slow process. And, but you got to keep going. So, as you know, if you don't keep pushing, it's never going to happen. So if there's anyone out there that does want to help or does want to jump on board... What can they do? Um, So we have um, a website where you can go on and donate and help us, you know, with funds to be able to keep doing this. Um, We are riding, walking from Adelaide to Mordura next March um, to raise some awareness, which is an even bigger (laughs) challenge, but I'm giving the bike up. (laughs) You can help, you know, you can jump on, you can contact us at itsneverokay at outlook.com and we can help you with your industry, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be sport, but... Um, you know, if you, you and your club think that you can help with some change, then please contact me and I'll be more than happy to help. Amazing. And I'll be sure to link as much as I can in the show notes. I'll probably see if I can stalk you come March next year and uh, find those fine pictures and share them to, you know, help build it up again, because I think it's incredible what you're doing. And Walking from Adelaide to Mildura is not... No, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm probably a little bit nuts, but I just want to do something bigger and better, but I can't get back on a bike, so walking it is. <laughs> We're looking at doing um, standing on paddle boards for as long as we can to do stand-up for domestic violence, so that'll hopefully be next year as well sometime. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Make sure you get a flat, a flat bay or something <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Country Vic. Do it in a lake. Yeah, exactly. I will. Sunraysia's up on the Murray, so we'll do it there somewhere. But I think that's probably at the end of next year. So I've got a little bit of practice to do. <laughs> Can you stand up paddleboard as it is? Um, not really. But this summer, I'm going to be doing a lot of um, practice and a lot of training. So I can't sit still for very long. So I'll have to do some massive work on myself. <laughs> yeah, to be able to stand still so that you can't yeah. fall off. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing, Kim. And thank you so much for for coming on the show. I know it's not been super comfortable and it's never super comfortable to talk about it, but the fact that you have been and, you know, if it helps one person out there, then I'm so glad to be a little part of getting the message out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the conversations aren't easy. They're uncomfortable and, you know, they're horrible. And But I think the blunt and more open that we are about it, I think, the easier it'll be for people but thank you for having me on and thank you for doing what you're doing because this will help someone I'm sure I'm sure it will thank you so much thank you
Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.